This morning, we begin a new sermon series here at Pittman Park called Living with St. Francis. Um, We'll be dealing with St. Francis of Assisi over the course of the next three weeks um, as we look at what it means to live out our faith. So I want to encourage you this morning um, to take time this week to do a little research on St. Francis. He's an interesting character. But before we get going, what I'd like to do um, is to pray with you this morning, a prayer that St. Francis wrote. Um, So would you join me in prayer? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, harmony. Where there is error, truth. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. So we're getting close to Thanksgiving. And you know what that means, right? Obligatory family meetings. Obligatory family meetings. Is anybody going to have an obligatory family meeting in the next few weeks? Anyone? You sometimes call this Thanksgiving, right? You sometimes call this family reunion, but it seems like around this time of year, you end up having to go to family gatherings. Now, when families get together, there are all sorts of dynamics at play, at least in my family, that's how it works. When we get everyone together, and I mean everyone, um, there's a lot of people in one space, uh, usually a small space, and people sort of float off into little clusters and groups, and there's all these dynamics going on. So you've got, you know, the grown-up table and the kids' table, right? Anybody have the grown-up table and kids' table, right? And some of you when you were younger, you thought, one day I'm going to be at the grown-ups table, and then you get there, and you think, I'm going back to the kids' table. <laughs> yeah, it happens. It happened to me. Then you've got your grandparents um, and over in another corner, right, and they're having their own conversation and doing their own thing, and then there's that other corner of the house where... All of the cousins that you've only seen once in your entire life, but they all remember you. Do you, do you have these? They're all in one corner doing their own thing. And then there's that one aunt. Or uncle. Or cousin. You know the one that I'm talking about, don't you? You know the one that I'm talking about. The weird one. The one that sticks out, the one that everyone tries to avoid getting into a conversation with. And if right now you're thinking, I don't have one of those in my family. It may be you, friend. I wish I was kidding, but it's... 
But if you were to gather, if you were to gather all of the family of saints from the Middle Ages, you would have a great big family reunion. You'd have a great big family of the union. You, reunion. You'd have Joan of Arc over in one corner and Thomas Beckett in another, the Venerable Bede, Thomas Aquinas, Albertus Magnus, Bernard of Clairvaux, and Dominic only to name a few. And off in the corner, better yet out in the yard, you'd have St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis is that cousin of the church that makes everyone else uncomfortable. While it's easy to fall in love with the theological works of Aquinas or the courage of characters like Joan of Arc or the writings of the Venerable Bede, Francis, Francis confronts us with an uncomfortable, uncomfortable passion for living out the gospel and imitating the life and carrying out the work of Christ in Christ own way. Francis, for centuries, has astounded and inspired the church by taking the gospel literally. Now, not in a narrow fundamentalist type of way, but by actually following what Jesus said and did joyfully, joyfully and without limits and without any sort of sense of self-importance. I mean, Francis, he embraces poverty in a time when the church was rich. Francis, he gives up power in a time when the church was a center of influence and power and culture. Francis, he was never even ordained. Do you realize that? St. Francis, never even ordained, but he preached to everyday people as he went from place to place, inspiring them to follow after Christ. He even ordered his first followers around a simple rule of life. And here's the rule. To follow the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and to walk in his footsteps. As you know, Francis would later go on uh, to found the Franciscan order of monks, the order of poor clares, and the third order of brothers and sisters of penance who's uh, who are a group of people who wanted to take up the Franciscan way of living without having to take on any sort of religious vows. They wanted to remain in the world living a particular way of life. Francis, through his poverty, through his simplicity, and his commitment to imitating Christ, he's made an indelible mark on the church. Do you realize even in our worship today, you heard the melody to all creatures of our God and King as we sang the doxology. You recognize that melody, don't you? Yes. All creatures of our God and King is an adaptation of our brother son, a poem that St. Francis wrote. No matter how much you want to avoid St. Francis, no matter how much you want to stay away from him, or the church might even try to distance themselves from St. Francis. His influence is there, though often muted. It's still incredibly powerful. I mean, here we are today, nearly some 800 years after his death, and we are praying a prayer which he wrote, which begins, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Just living into those eight words, that would be enough, wouldn't it? I mean, if, if we could just live into those eight words today, that would be 
enough. That's a powerful thing to pray the Saturday or the Sunday after a midterm election, isn't it? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. It's a powerful thing to pray the Sunday before Veterans Day. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. That's a powerful thing to pray in a world that so often is divided and so often is at, is at odds. Those eight words, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Those are what Paul extrapolates over the course of eight verses in Romans 14, 13 to 21, the text that you heard Marilyn read earlier this morning. But in case you missed it, Paul, he's admonishing us to avoid judgment, to avoid putting stumbling blocks in the way of those around us, to pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding, to become instruments of peace even, so that others might experience Christ's presence in you and through you. Now you've got to know that this isn't the only time in the letter to the Romans that Paul talks about peacemaking. If you look back in Romans chapter 12, Paul asks that we live at peace with others, that we bless those who persecute, and that we do not curse others, that we rejoice with the rejoicing, weep with the weeping, avoid pride, embrace humility, and as far as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. And Paul there is simply echoing the words of Jesus spoken at the Sermon on the Mount. Words that Paul knew. Words that St. Francis knew. That you and I, that we are blessed when we make peace. When we are agents of peace in our world. And you might be thinking, how in the world do I work getting peacemaking into my schedule? How do I work peacemaking into my daily routine, my daily way of life? I've got plenty of other stuff going on. I've got kids' soccer and gymnastics. I've got appointments. I've got business meetings that I have to attend to. Not only that, if you look out at the world, there's so much violence and so much hatred and so much pain. There are people killing people all around our world. There's ISIS in the Middle East and there's Ebola in Africa. How in the world can we make peace in a world so fraught with division. There are people being oppressed and repressed by violent regimes. There are children killing children in our schools and on our streets and gangs at war in our cities. And we're not immune to it here in Statesboro. How in the world... Do you become a peacemaker in that sort of a world? You know, I was out of the office some this week, and one of the things that I like to do when I travel up and down the interstate is listen to podcasts. Is it, do any of you listen to podcasts? Okay, a few of you. A podcast is like a radio show that you can download from the internet and listen to um, on your, your smartphone or on your computer. I love listening to, to podcasts. I listen to TED Talks. Um, I, I listen to uh, endurance uh, podcasts about running and swimming and biking and um, anything that sort of piques my interest. I try to find a podcast. I've listened to sermons on podcasts. Uh, you can listen to sermons from Pittman Park on podcasts if you like. You just go through our website. But um, 
I was riding down the road and, and I was listening to this endurance podcast and, and a question was asked of the host and the question went like this. I live in a cold climate and I'm, tra- I'm trying to train up for a race that's in a hot climate, a marathon that's in a hot climate. This person lived like in Michigan and was going to run a marathon in Miami. Um, and, and the question was, how do you train for those sorts of conditions? Because you can't replicate, replicate 30 degrees uh, or, or 90 degrees in 30 degree weather. It's pretty tough. And the host said, well, what you have to do is you have to create a microclimate, a microclimate. And I thought, I can see how this is about to work out. What you're going to do is you're going to get your treadmill, you're going to pull it into the garage, you're going to need four space heaters, crank them all the way up, get it to about 120 degrees in there, and just sweat and run. <laughs> and before, you know, before I could get too far off into that fantasy of microclimates, the host said, and it's not that hard to make a microclimate. I said, all you have to do is put on a hat, a warm hat, and maybe a jacket. Put on a warm hat and a jacket. And what will happen is, is your body heat will be trapped inside of that hat and inside of that jacket. And you can create a, a 90-degree microclimate pretty simply. And that's what you need to do on days when it's warm and sunny outside. Just put on a hat. And you can change your whole perception of your run, and you can actually train to run in Miami while you're in Michigan in the snow if you just put enough clothes on and create a little microclimate. You and I, we might not be able to change the world today. We might not be able to end violence. We might not be able to end poverty and oppression today. But you and I, we can create microclimates of peace. You and I, we can make a difference right where we are. That's what St. Francis is getting at in his prayer. That becoming an instrument of peace happens when we sow love, sow like plant love right where we are. When we offer pardon to those around us. When we create harmony, intense moments. When we stand up for faith and truth at home and at work, when we offer hope in the midst of the chaos of life to people who are near to you, when you bring light to dark situations and places in our world, and when you experience and share joy with the world in which we live, you create microclimates of peace. You change the temperature in which you're living, you change the conditions of the places where you are. So let me give you some quick principles that you can apply today, today, to begin creating microclimates of peace wherever you happen to be. First, and I want to encourage you to take out a pencil or a pen in front of you. First, you need to pay attention to what you say and also pay attention to what you don't say. Pay attention to what you say. Peacemakers are prepared to tell the truth, but prepared to speak the truth in love so that that truth can be heard. If you want peace that's lasting and peace that's worthwhile, then you have to offer the truth gently and wrapped in love and grace. 
Proverbs chapter 15, 1 says that a gentle word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Are you watching the way you speak? Are you guarding what you say and what you don't say so that you can offer peace? This is a first step toward creating a microclimate of peace. When you're in conflict, here's the second thing. Attack problems instead of people. Attack problems instead of people. You can't focus on fixing a problem or dealing with an issue if you're focusing on blaming someone at the same time. This is what happens on CNN and Fox News, and you can put your favorite news broadcast there as well. Instead of dealing with issues, we like to blame people. We like to demonize people. But you can't fix a problem if you're focusing on blame, if you're attacking people instead of the problem. You're not being a peacemaker if you do that. You're trying to pick a fight. If you're all about blaming, then the truth is you're probably still bitter. And you need to think, am I dealing with a problem? Or am I trying to focus on people? The third thing you can do is you can begin to cooperate as much as possible. If you look back again at Romans chapter 12, Paul says, if possible, as far as you are able, live at peace with everyone. If possible, as far as you are able, as far as you are able, live at peace with everyone. You know, there are some people that are hard to get along with. We all have those people in our lives. You have some cousins that you don't want to see at your Thanksgiving dinner, don't you? As far as it's possible, as much as you can control, try to live at peace with those people that frustrate you, with those people that give you a hard time. The truth is that Paul wants us to go further than people that frustrate us and give us a hard time. He wants us to treat enemies this way. And if you're honest with yourself, you have some people that you'd rather not ever see. That you can't stand to be in the room with. People who've hurt you. People that you've hurt. As far as it depends on you, You ought to seek to live at peace with everyone. Because here's the thing, friends. Being an instrument of peace, it isn't about grand acts. It isn't about putting on some kind of show, but instead it's about consistently living out this prayer. When we do that, we create microclimates of peace. Peace on earth, the peace that you sang about this morning, it really does begin with you and me. It begins with the disposition of our soul. When we cultivate our own inner peace by diving into Scripture, scripture, by encountering God through prayer, by fasting and finding solitude, when we develop inner peace, we create a microclimate that can affect the way that we perceive the world. And if we can change our hearts... If our hearts can be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can begin changing the world. We can begin bringing peace 
and healing and hope to this violent, broken, and hurting world. That's how we become instruments of peace. By bringing peace to our own souls and sharing that peace with those that we see every day that we might change the climate, change the temperature in the room. Do you pray with me this morning? Lord, let us begin with our own souls. Help us to find peace through the study of Scripture, through prayer and spiritual discipline, that we might share peace in our homes and in our workplaces. That peace might be about more than just getting along, but true harmony, true love, true grace, shared from individual to individual and around the world. Lord, we thank you that St. Francis makes us uncomfortable and that he challenges us to walk more faithfully and fully in the footsteps of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.